This is the Battle Gorilla Lego Podcast, Episode 19, Collector's Quest, A-Foles, and the Sets That Got Away. The secret title of today's episode is White Whales and Holy Grails. As an adult fan of Lego, do you look back at your childhood and think, not about the Lego you had, but about that one Lego set you wanted, but that nobody ever bought you? A set you promised yourself you'd buy once you were an adult with a pocket full of has-a-job money. But now, as an adult, you find that set is scarce and only available at collector's market prices. Well, you're not alone. Welcome to this week's episode. The Disclaimer Lego is a trademark of the Lego Group of Companies, which does not sponsor, authorize, or endorse this podcast. Are you ready to listen to the world's number one Lego podcast recorded in my apartment? Podcasting is awesome, especially when it's about the Lego fan scene. Podcasting is awesome. Hey, check out this audio stream. Welcome to the Battle Gorilla Lego Podcast. My name is Mike Sneathan. I'm your host. Let's get right into it. There's this book. It's a pretty famous book. I haven't actually read it, despite having tried, maybe a dozen times or so. I've started it about a dozen times, and I've subsequently abandoned it about a dozen times. It has a reputation of being one of the more boring books in the world, and from my personal experience with it, I cannot disagree. Being a pretty famous book, I've heard a lot about it, so I more or less know what all goes on in it. You piece these things together over time. The book is, apparently, about a guy named Ahab, who, long ago, really, really, really wanted this one Lego set, but his parents wouldn't buy it for him. But now, Ahab is an adult and has decided that he is going to buy himself that old set. Unfortunately, copies of that set are scarce and expensive. It only ever sells for collector's market prices. And while Ahab does now have adult money, he does not have rich person's money. So, he spends the entirety of the book in search of a copy of that set that is for sale within his price range. The metaphor the book uses for this is hunting his white whale. There is one quote from the book I'm familiar with. It's apparently from a speech Ahab gives that I've heard characters in other media who have read the book quote. If I'm remembering this right, it's, And I'll chase him round brick link and round the eBay and round local yard sales, and round perdition's flames before I give him up. That line right there is pretty inspiring. I just wish the book was more readable. It's been so long since my last attempt, I'm not even sure I can remember the name of it accurately. It's something like Moby Brick, written by a guy named Herman Afol. I don't know. Anyway, 
I only bring that up because this week's episode is about being in search of your white whale, or holy grail. AFOLs tend to use those two terms somewhat interchangeably. Is that because they rhyme? Maybe. Hang around in the Lego fandom for long enough, and you'll eventually hear people talking about their holy grail, or their list of white whales. Sometimes, a Lego fan has just a single set at the prospective end of their quest. Other times, they're questing for a list of special sets. And sometimes, when you hear a Lego fan talking about their white whale, they aren't even talking about a set. I've heard the terms white whale and holy grail applied to minifigures, animals, the infamous Lego goat, for example, and sometimes even individual pieces. Within the last couple of years, I've even heard people having the white whale discussion not about Lego products they wanted to obtain, but mocks they wanted to build. Once I develop the right skills, or once I get a place that has a larger Lego workspace, or once I acquire all the necessary parts, once whatever that thing is happens, then I'm going to build that mock and finally cross it off my white whale list. But I'll be talking more about that, specifically about how that applies in my case, later on in this episode. So how exactly does a Lego set become a white whale? Traditionally, there are two routes for a Lego set to attain white whaledom. The first is wanting a set from your childhood that was too expensive for your parents to buy. The other route is wanting a set that came out during your dark age when you were paying absolutely no attention to Lego and therefore didn't even know it was a thing until it was way too late. Exactly how complete and pristine you want your whale affects how difficult it is to obtain. This leads us to a phenomenon I refer to as MIB versus IDC, or Mint in Box versus I don't care. If your specific white whale is meant to be a mint-in-box collectible that you keep in the box, on display in the box, then your hunt is going to be more difficult than some of the hunts that the rest of us are on. If, on the other hand, your plan is to build this set so that you have it on display in your home, and you're the kind of person that doesn't keep boxes, then there are some alternate hunting grounds for you to stalk your whale in. Yes, you can look for it on Bricklink or eBay or specialty used Lego stores and the other usual places, trying to spend a large wad of money on the entire set at once. Or you can go the route of obtaining your white whale one pound of blubber at a time. I'm talking, of course, about going to Bricklink, looking that set up, looking at the list of parts included in that set, and simply buying the parts. Possibly all at once, possibly little by little over the course of a few years, or months, or weeks, or if you're really impatient, days, hours. Minutes frantically stabbing the keyboard keys on your quest for that whale or grail. Obtaining your white whale in pieces through Bricklink 
has a couple of advantages to it. One is that instead of having to wait for a decent price on the complete set, you are able to wait for a decent price on the specific parts. Finding cheap parts tends to happen a lot more regularly than finding cheap sets. If your whale has some exclusive parts that were only in that set, yeah, you're, you're going to pay more for those. And then there's the question of stickers. Do you buy parts that have the stickers from that set applied to them and just hope that whoever applied them had a good eye and steady hand? Or do you try and buy a brand new sticker sheet from that set and apply those stickers yourself? Or do you just forego stickers altogether. The vast majority of sets that I personally have built, uh, they don't have stickers on them. Stickers and I just, we, we don't get along. Another benefit of obtaining your white whale, depending on how sacred your particular holy grail is, and exactly how picky you are, sometimes, if the part isn't going to be visible, on the completed mock, you can make substitutions. If one part is very expensive in the sand green color that it came in in the set, but isn't going to be visible from outside the build, why do you need to bother buying it in that exact sand green? Is white a lot cheaper? Buy it in white. And if you're really not picky, sometimes you can do that even if the part is visible on the outside of the set. The question is, do I want this to be as accurate as the sets that people bought when they were in production and on sale? Or is it worth more to me to have a working solution that doesn't force me to take out a second mortgage on my house to buy these parts? Entirely up to you. While preparing for this episode, I posted the question, What is your white whale set? Or, top five if you have multiple white whales, on a couple of the LEGO subreddits. If you were one of the people that answered that question, then, Hey! I just mentioned you on my podcast! Seriously, though, thank you for answering. I expected a lot more classic space sets than I saw in those answers. I'm guessing that most of the respondents were probably a generation or so younger than I am. A lot of the modular buildings made the cut, especially the early ones. Same with the Winter Village sets. There are a lot of pirate ships on people's white whale lists. A fair number of Star Wars sets, both Ultimate Collector's Series and otherwise. Ninjago City and Ninjago City Gardens. Voltron. The Simpsons House and Quickie Mart, some of the Frank Lloyd Wright architecture sets, the Lego Movie 2's Welcome to Apocalypseburg set, Monorail, of course, the Ghostbusters Firehouse, and a lot more. If I would have made a guess beforehand as to what the single most common answer would have been, I doubt that I would have guessed set number 21310 the Lego Ideas Old Fishing Store, but 
That is what a lot of these AFOLs on the hunt are hunting for. This podcast tends to be not just Lego, but Lego from my point of view and experience, which means it's now time for me to talk about my white whales. I started thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, trying to come up with as accurate a list as I could based on what I wanted and how badly I wanted it. I decided to limit it to the top five, and I will be giving you two separate lists, one for sets and one for mocks, because I do believe that the white whale or holy grail term can be applied to mocks. We're going to do the sets first. After the goat episode of the podcast, you're probably thinking that the Mill Village Raid set is going to be on this list. And it would have been, if not for a recent development in the whole Lego Goat saga. Just a day or so before I began recording this episode, Lego officially announced the specifics of the collectible minifigure series dropping on January 1st, confirming the information from a leaked document that had been making its way around the internet for the past month. The lineup of this series is 12 minifigures, one of which has been dubbed by the LEGO fan community as the Goat Herd. Can you guess what the Goat Herd's accessory is? LEGO have apparently made themselves a new goat mold. From that single picture we have of it, I can't tell if it is physically identical to the original goat, but if it isn't, then it's incredibly close. The body of the new goat is white, as opposed to the original goat's white with medium nougat spots. And, knowing that we are about to get an influx of new goats, pushes the Mill Village Raid set, the only set to contain the previous Lego goat, much farther down on my want list than it had been prior to that revelation. Oh, I'd still like it. Just not badly enough for it to make the top five. Okay, so my white whale sets. Number five on my list, set number 10225, the Ultimate Collector Series R2-D2. This model of everyone's favorite astromech droid stands about a foot tall, so I would probably be able to find a place to display the little guy, and he's one that I've wanted ever since the first time I saw him. I would like to have that particular brick-built R2-D2, although I do believe if I had that set and the accompanying instructions, I would probably either build a second astromech droid or not build R2 as the original one, but do a color swap on the white parts and the blue parts, making it an astromech droid, but not R2 himself. Why? Because, as a writer, surrounded by writer's block, in a fashion reminiscent of that poor fellow from Poe's story, A Cask of Amontillado, I have a large number of, in this specific case, Star Wars fan fiction stories in my head. I have recurring original Star Wars characters running around in my brain, including some astromech droids. Who would I rather have? That droid that George Lucas wrote about? Or that droid that I wanted to write about? Who knows? Part of me says, why not both? Part of me says, go for the fanfic droid. So I don't know. 
it's kind of a moot point, because I don't own that set. But if I ever obtain it, we'll have to see. Fourth on the list is kind of a cheat, maybe. Set number 75053, The Ghost. And set number 75170, The Phantom. These two ships combine into basically one ship from Star Wars Rebels, an animated series I was very fond of while it was running. And while these two sets were in production and available on store shelves, I kept thinking to myself, I really need to make up my mind whether or not I want to pull the trigger on purchasing these. Because I really do want them. Unfortunately, around the time they came out, I was also buying Marvel superhero sets and DC superhero sets and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sets and Lord only knows what else. And the Ghost and the Phantom sort of just quietly went away when I wasn't paying close attention. Currently, there is a new version of the Ghost and the Phantom, this time available in one set for the both of them, from the recent Ahsoka series on Disney+. And while the Ahsoka set is not going to have the full complement of minifigures, which is part of the reason I wanted the originals, if I were to obtain the Ahsoka version of this set, I would probably be satisfied with that. Unfortunately, my current financial situation is, well, dire would be a step up. And it's up over a hundred bucks, so I'm not about to go buy it, sadly. Number three on the list, set number 6769, Fort Legorado from Lego's Western Line. I was sad that the Western Line only had the limited number of sets that it did. I was also both sad and confused when it came back half a decade later with pretty much the exact same sets and then produced no additional new sets to add to that. Fort Legorado was the big set of that theme. It introduced the log wall panels and the 1x2 and 1x4 logs-shaped palisade bricks. The specific Fort Legorado that I want is the original, because the original set was primarily brown, whereas the re-released set was primarily reddish-brown, also known as the dreaded Brittle Brown. And I suspect that if I got a set from over a decade ago that was primarily Brittle Brown, those pieces would shatter as I was snapping them into place, possibly sometimes as I was even carefully picking them up out of the box. Set number 7778, the Midi-Scale Millennium Falcon. I want a Lego Millennium Falcon, not the Ultimate Collector Series, because I seriously have no room to put that. Really? Not even what they refer to as the Playscale Millennium Falcon? Because I don't really even have room for that. But one day, Dad said to me, hey, you want to go to Walmart? And we went to Walmart. And I found there, sitting on the shelf, the Walmart-exclusive Midi-scale Millennium Falcon. Much smaller than minifig scale. 
and something that I could easily find a spot to display, even here in my small, cramped, crowded apartment. But, as is the story with a lot of these things, it was $40. I didn't have $40. The rest you know. The number one set on my white whale list. Set number 10173. The Holiday Train. This set was released in 2006. Once the Winter Village line started, it would eventually get a remake, but the remake was much smaller, and, to my mind, incredibly inferior to the original. It was primarily green, and included the engine, tender, passenger car, car full of Christmas trees, car full of Christmas gifts, and caboose. The set's minifigures included the conductor, two engineers, and four passengers. You could buy just the set for $90, or you could buy a bundle called the Holiday Train Starter Collection, which included a motor, transformer, and speed regulator, and train track. The Holiday Train is one of those sets that, the first time I saw it, my immediate thought was, oh, I must own that. But, again, it's one of these sets that cost more than I could afford to pay. I would like to get that set. I would like to build it. I would not like to play with it, due to the fact that my history with playing with toy trains is such that a lot of people have labeled it the train curse, which is something I may do an episode on in the future. I don't know. We'll have to see. But those were my top five Holy Grail slash White Whale sets. Now, let's move on to my top five Holy Grail White Whale mocks. Before we get into the details of what these mocks are, I feel I should take a moment and talk about the fact that I have recently started re-evaluating my stance as pertains to upcoming mocks. I have always been the sort of builder who does not take work-in-progress shots, certainly does not post work-in-progress shots on the internet, and tends to not even talk about the mocks I'm building until they're complete and I am ready to show the finished product. I have started to see that this is not the right way to go about things. I am traditionally of the opinion that everybody else's mocks are better than mine. And I think part of the reason why that is, is because most other people will talk about what they're building, which causes other AFOLs to make suggestions about it. They post work-in-progress shots, which causes other AFOLs to say, uh, what if you tried this instead of that? I think that would serve you better. And similar things like that, whereas nobody's giving me input because I'm not giving them the opportunity to. I'm not accepting input. I'm just sitting alone in my room building. I think that in order to develop my building skills, I need feedback. I think I've needed it for the entire time that I have been a member of the LEGO fan community, and I just haven't, either haven't realized or haven't accepted that. I don't know. In any case, the mocks I am about to talk about are typically mocks I don't talk to people about. Because, again, I don't talk about these things until they're finished and I'm ready to unveil them. So, the remainder of this episode of the podcast is going to be a first for me. Okay, here we go. 
Growing up, I was a huge fan of Lloyd Alexander's Chronicles of Prydain series of books. There were five books in the core series, The Book of Three, The Black Cauldron, The Castle of Lear, Terran Wanderer, and The High King. There was also a short story compilation titled The Foundling and Other Tales of Prydain, but that book does not factor into this particular story. As was the tradition for all good fantasy works of that era, every book opened up with a map. The third book in the series was set on an island, so that book's map was just of the island, and therefore that also doesn't factor into this story. The remaining four maps were all of Prydane, but only showed the locations that the characters traveled to in that particular book. So we had four different, incomplete maps of Prydane. After having read the series of five books, 20 or 30 times, those incomplete maps started to bother me. So one day I took a large sheet of paper, a handful of pencils, and my woefully inadequate skills as an illustrator slash cartographer, and consolidated all the information from those four maps into a single unified map of Prydain. It got thumbtacked to my bedroom wall and stayed there until I moved in with my grandmother so that my sister could have my old room. At some point after my discovery of the online Lego fan community, I decided that one of the many, many, many things I wanted to build was a bigger, better rendition of that map of Prydain. The plan is to build a mock of that map that is a fusion of microscale builds and mosaic, the majority of the map itself being mosaic, but the locations being microscale builds that stick up 3D style out of the rest of the otherwise largely 2D style map. So that's number five on my list of White Whale Holy Grail mocks, the map of Prydain. Around the time that LEGO gave us our third Iron Man minifigure, I realized that they were just going to continue pumping these out until there was an army of them. I decided that I wanted to build Iron Man's classic Hall of Armor. But once I decided that I was going to do that, Hall of Armor mocks started appearing online. Lots of them. Lots and lots of Hall of Armor mocks. At which point I thought, well, if everybody else has already built it, there's no real need for me to build one too. Not unless I can come up with a different take on it anyway. And a couple of years later, I suddenly realized that while I had seen everybody building minifigure scale halls of armor, I hadn't seen anyone building them any bigger than that. So I decided to go ahead and build mine in miniland scale. Blocky brick built figures, the average adult of which stands about four inches tall. I decided I wanted this hall to house five suits of armor, with a sixth in-progress suit on Tony's workbench. I figured out which five suits I wanted, mostly from the comics rather than the MCU, and started ordering parts. I actually had the mock about halfway to completion when I realized that I hated it. It did not look good to me. It was the suits of armor. I wasn't able to get enough detail into them to satisfy me, so I disassembled the thing and decided that I would eventually circle back around to the concept once I had some better ideas for it. It wasn't until I started my foray into mech building and using things like mixel joints to add articulation to some of my mocks 
that I understood the flaws in my Miniland scale hull of armor. Going bigger had been the correct move, but Miniland scale just wasn't quite big enough. I was going to need bigger suits of armor, with more detail and working joints. I might actually have to create my own scale for this. Battle Gorilla scale? Perhaps. So that's where I'm at now. Slowly pondering designs that are forming in the back of my brain, just waiting until I figure out exactly how I'm going to be building these things. And that's number four on the list. The Iron Man Hall of Armor, with armored suits for larger-than-normal figures. At one of the Bricks Cascade conventions I attended, I spent some time examining some of the mocks in the battle section. There was something about one of the mocks with burnt-out, blown-up buildings and explosion-caused ruts in the road that had grabbed my attention. And this was when I was still the Bricks Cascade Superhero Theme Coordinator. So, of course, my brain said, I want to incorporate that into a superhero mock. And I came up with the idea of building a incredibly battle-damaged section of street that was the setting for a fight between the Hulk big fig and another big fig. At that point, I assumed I was going to have to default to his battle being against the Red Hulk, because that was the only other Hulk character that had a big fig. Lego never gave us a big fig of the Abomination, which made me sad. I eventually discovered that one of the companies in China that does counterfeit Lego minifigs and big figs created an Abomination big fig, but I thought it was ugly. It did not look like what I think of as the Abomination, so I didn't buy it. Eventually, I changed my mind and thought, eh, it'll work just fine. And by that time, it was no longer in production, and I simply couldn't find one to buy. But initially, that was the whole plan. Street full of buildings, Hulk and an opponent. Streets all torn up, buildings have holes punched in them, cars parked along the side of the street are scrunched up. Fun, simple, easy. But I didn't build it immediately. And as these things tend to go, the longer I don't build them, the more complex they become in my head. There were a couple of different stages to this, but eventually we ended up with the still unbuilt mock being what it has evolved into today, which is supposed to be a mock entitled The Last Stand of the Incredible Hulk, where he is fighting not just one big fig scale opponent, but good-sized gathering of classic Hulk foes. I found a set of instructions on rebrickable for a mostly brick-built abomination that uses some big fig parts. I'm looking into building Zax, which is an Incredible Hulk enemy that is made out of electricity, the big white furry alien named Zemnu the Titan, and even some non-big fig enemies like the Hulk's archenemy, the Leader, and his hordes of artificial, mostly plastic, humanoids minions. I might also throw in Tyrannus and his faction of Moloids. I'm just planning to heap villain after villain after villain on our poor Hulk, with the appropriate level of damage to the surrounding environment. I'll probably give the Hulk a few friends. We've never gotten a Rick Jones figure, we probably never will get a Barit figure, but I'm looking into assembling figures for both of them. 
I didn't want to give the Hulk any allies that would be particularly useful in battle. So, no Tony Stark in a Hulkbuster suit. No Thor, no Captain America. But the last stand of the Incredible Hulk is number three on the mock white whale list. The number two entry is based on characters from a story I wanted to write. The main character was a mech suit pilot and mechanic. And the mech that she built and pilots is called the Matryoshka. Matryoshka being the Russian word for nesting dolls. I'm sure you've seen these little wooden contraptions where you pull the top off and there's a slightly smaller doll inside. And you pull the top off of that slightly smaller doll and there's an even slightly smaller doll inside. And so on and so on. The Matryoshka the Mac, not the dolls, would follow the same basic principle. I want to put together a figure for mech pilot slash mechanic Sasha Nestor and put her inside of a mech suit that is 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 inside of a mech suit. She can take the Matryoshka into battle against what would have to be a very large-scale mech, and start fighting. If her mech becomes damaged, shed the outer layer. Suddenly, she's in a brand-new, untouched mech. A little bit smaller, but still scrappy, still fighting. If that gets damaged, again, shed the outer mech layer, continue the fight in the slightly smaller mech, and so on. I have talked to a couple of people about this idea, and usually they roll their eyes, and say, yeah, good luck with that. Is building something like this even possible? I have no idea. Nevertheless, it is the mock that I want to build, second most of all. Which finally brings us to what I have been referring to as the big mock. Not necessarily big as in very large, very long, very wide, very tall, but big as in investment in parts, in time, and so on. The first year I attended Bricks Cascade, they had available for sale, I believe they were $5 a piece, grab bags of unsorted bulk Lego. I'm told this was Lego that you could, at the time, purchase from the Lego group if you were a convention, to sell to convention attendees. A lot of this bulk Lego arrived loose, but a lot of it was composed of random numbered bags from sets that had been recently discontinued. So there was some amount of repetition from bag to bag. And something that I believe every bag had was a number of two by two round pearl gold tile. You buy a lot of these grab bags, you end up with a lot of round gold discs. And so there were conversations going on. What on earth could I do with this many small gold discs? One of the things that happened from that is the following year, there was a collaborative build in Steampunk called Streets of Brass, where the Steampunk theme coordinator built a sizable road paved with brass discs, and collab participants built small steampunk-oriented shops to line that road. 
I must have heard a bunch of different potential uses for those discs during the conversations at that convention. But once I heard about them being ideal as brass components for steampunk builds, I found myself thinking, with enough of those, those would be ideal as the inset roundels on the walls of a steampunk-themed TARDIS console room from Doctor Who. And then I thought, should I build that? And I wasn't sold on the idea, and I wasn't actively thinking about it. But within a couple of hours, I had most of that console room mapped out in the back of my head. And realized, yeah, I'm going to build this. And since then, I have been slowly accumulating parts for this. I think there was one year where my lug bolt purchase was not entirely composed of parts for this build. It was parts for something else, which I still haven't built. That thing would have been number six on this list had this list been longer. But usually, when lug bolt rolls around, I'm using it to buy parts for this mock. Because this mock is going to require certain parts by the thousand. On the occasions that I have discussed this mock, either with the few people I have sworn to secrecy about what I'm planning to build, or relatives who probably don't care about the fact that I'm planning to build this, or frequently conversations with myself all alone in my apartment, still out loud, that's normal, right? Yeah, that's nothing to worry about. On the occasion I have these conversations... I tend to refer to it as the largest console room that the Doctor has ever had. And I maintained that that was the truth right up until about a week ago, when I saw the first of the three 60th anniversary specials, The Star Beast, and we got to see the new TARDIS interior. <sighs> the new TARDIS interior... I do not believe it is bigger than the mock I'm planning to build. It may be as big as the mock I'm planning to build. Which made me a little grumpy, but I'll push through that. Minific scale is going to be three stories tall. My current estimate is that it will sit on a base, and that base is going to have a footprint of 16 base plates. Standard size base plates. Uh, a 4x4 four four grid. So we're looking at 40 inches square. Definitely not the mock I've built with the largest surface area. But still, I believe if I do this right, it will be impressive. And that is the number one mock on my mock white whale list. I have now been gathering parts for it for a decade and while I'm sure that once I start building it, I will discover there are still parts I need, I think I have enough of the core necessary parts to at least start work on it. So once I have finished constructing mocks for the upcoming Bricks Cascade convention in Portland, I will be turning my attention to the Steampunk TARDIS console room. Finally. Okay. As always, if you like this podcast, please tell your friends about it. If you don't like this podcast, I don't know, tell your enemies or something. If you want to find the podcast's social media outlets or websites where you can help support the podcast, go to battlegorilla.com slash links. And that brings this episode to a close. 
Be sure and catch the next episode where I'll be talking about filling gaps in your minifigure population via minifigure customization. The podcast's intro and outro themes, Podcasting is Awesome, inspired by Tegan and Sarah's Everything is Awesome, and Ode to Gibberish, were created by Michael Reinch. I think I just closed Pandora's box and I want to know if you could punch a sucker. How else would you know that I've done everything except any of it? You can have your bald eagle afraid of fire and you can eat it too and there could be so much joy and I want my libido well. How else? I mean, wish me luck on the prayers for junk food and 